0: Well good morning. It is a real joy for me to be here and to uh, be talking to you and speaking to you. Thank you for the music. That was really wonderful. Um, I loved the, uh, I thought that Riverdance was going to come out here during one of the songs. And so it's, uh, it's a joy for me to be here. And for those of you that, that um, I, I've i known, it's great to see you. And for those that I don't know so well but saw, I am I'm just thrilled to be back here. That was my spot over there for a year, and God spoke to me over there. I trust He speaks all over the place here, right, but I know that He spoke to me over there, and we camped out on that on one of the the pews there uh, and, and it's uh it 's just a, a real real joy Michael, thank you um, for oh there you are for inviting me to come and share with you and share from my heart. I have a uh, follow along. I listen to about maybe every other uh, sermon uh, here. And I'm usually when I'm driving, because I live in Los Angeles. And so um, half the time, I'm in the car, right? And uh, so, yes, it was nice to be here yesterday. We, um, well, something was coming out of the sky yesterday. I don't quite know what it, it was, wet it came in small little drops, but I, I haven't seen that since I was here the last time. And so it rained. There was a weekend that it rained this last winter in Los Angeles, but that was about it. But we're in L.A., my wife and I, and Nat and our kids live in Los Angeles, serve with Jews for Jesus there, and uh, our ministry is going well. I will tell you that God... I believe um, deeply that God brought us down there and God is leading us and moving us into what it is that we're going on. We've got a variety of different, uh, uh, different projects going on. I will um, just give you one, one project that we're working on that you can be praying for. One of the guys who is in our, uh, in our community uh, down there who's a believer, his name's Joe Glauberg, he is a writer, and he writes for TV uh, shows. Um, he wrote for TV shows in the late 60s and 70s. Um, he wrote the the pilot for Mork and Mindy. He wrote for Happy Days, uh, uh, Joni Loves Chachi, right? All this stuff. Yeah, I know you still watch those. Um, but uh, so he's the writer, and he's written a really interesting play called My Brother the Rabbi. And it's based on a fictional conversation between Jesus and his siblings wrestling with how they understand and how their brother, the rabbi, could also be the Messiah. And it raises a lot of the same questions that that many Jewish people ask today. And so uh, we are in the process of producing this play. And, you know, L.A., everybody's a movie star or wants to be, right? So we're in the process of producing this play, and our plan is, um, to have three performance, three weekend performances this July, and so I'm excited to see what it is, what the evangelistic uh, opportunities uh, we will have as a result of that. So, as you pray for us, um, and as you think about uh, juice for Jesus, you can pray. I will let you know how it goes, but it's one of the things that we're working on now, and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Well, uh we, the genesis of this uh, meeting and me coming, uh, as Michael and I were talking, uh, was in connection with the authentic Christianity series. Now, I'm not speaking from first John, uh, but I have been listening along and following along with what what's been going on for you, and uh, I, uh, in a sense, am adding to that. So as I uh, open up and and as we talk through this passage in Hebrews, it is uh, my joy to be able to share with you some thoughts about authentic Christianity. And I'm, I'm Jewish. Uh, I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus, been a believer now about 25 years. And so my perspective of it comes from who I am and my background. Now, I'm speaking from the book of Hebrews. I will tell you, I don't always speak from the book of Hebrews just because I'm Jewish, right? You know, it's my book, you know? But I got a kick out of it. A couple of uh, months ago, somebody said, you know, in Hebrew, the word is Yehudim, Jews. And I said, oh, the book of Jews. All right. I like the book of Hebrews better. So feel Be strange. Turn to Jews chapter 13. Okay, so um, let me start off by just uh, telling you um, uh, just a little story and sharing with you something that brings together some of my thoughts. So, so several years ago, when I was just starting out, Um, with Jews for Jesus, one of the things that we often do is we speak around Passover and we share in in many churches around Passover, talking about the story of Passover and how it's related to Jesus as Messiah. And so I had the chance after one of these meetings to meet with a number of influential uh, leaders in the Southern Baptist denomination. Now, I was a fairly new believer, I was even newer in ministry, and frankly, I I didn't know who any of these people were, and I wasn't totally sure what Southern Baptist was. Jewish guy, grew up in Northern California. Uh, Yes, I attended a conservative Baptist church in my early days of faith, um, but really I went because the donuts before the service, okay, so... Truth be told, so um, in the budget meeting, when you're talking about the donut budget, don't cut it. All right, so leave it up. So um, I was speaking at a church outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, sharing, uh, and the pastor who I was staying with invited me to come along. And there was about 25 of us uh, and several pastors, a couple of seminary leaders, and they were talking about the changes in the Southern Baptist Church. And he started out with a number of statistics that drew raised eyebrows and lots of, oh, and mmm, talking about, I, I don't totally remember exactly what he said, but it was, it was along the lines of, you know, the church has changed. You know, no longer will you have the mayor in your church. No longer will you have the chief of police in your church, no longer will the main influencers be in your church, and and as the pastors um, were processing this, they all kind of looked disappointed, like they had lost something, and then the conversation uh, continued uh, for the next I don't know half an hour, forty-five minutes or so, about how do we get that back? Like there was something that happened the way it should have been, is now broken. Well, I didn't really quite know what to think about this. Um, I didn't grow up in the Southern Baptist Church. I grew up Jewish. And in the Jewish community, we never had that. There was never a time where the mayor and the chief of police was in the synagogue. And so they visited, but they were never there on any continuous basis. And so I thought about this over the last several years of of my life in ministry, trying to ask this question, what is it that we expect from our faith? What is it that is authentic? What kind of influence ought we have? What does our society in recent history tell us versus what do the scriptures tell us about the way it is? And uh, the passage that we're going to look at has been, for me, a very critical answer that question. So I'm going to ask you, if you haven't already, open up your Bibles, and I did make a mistake because I forgot to add a one. So we're in Hebrews 13, but we're going to read more than just the first three verses. We're going to read a few more verses. So Hebrews 13, it's page 1878 in the Pew Bible, and I'm going to read in that Pew Bible from Verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 16, and then we'll see if we can unpack this a little bit and get to some of the implications of this. Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who you are ministering, and those who you mis- are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with all that you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forseek, forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. For we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace, And reproach uh, he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices, God is pleased." So, a couple of reminders are probably good to know just about the book of Hebrews to make sure that we know what's going on. It seems that the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish people who were believers in Jesus as the Messiah, strong, bold, faithful, active Christians, and then something had changed for some reason, they seemed to be in the process of or had very recently abandoned their faith or they were thinking about abandoning their faith and returning to the Judaism of the day and the practices of the temple. Exactly what the pressure of that capitulation was about, we don't totally know, but they were certainly wondering and wavering and asking is everything that we invested in our faith, is all of this about Jesus, is it worth it? The writer of Hebrews pleads with these people not to give up. So here's just a couple of verses. 2 verse 1, therefore we must pay attention, uh, closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. Verse uh, Chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 4.11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may be may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 6.11, And we desire that each of you show that same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Chapter 10, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a reward. So you get the idea. This is the, the kind of the basis of what this whole book is about, pleading with these, these people who had lived great, bold lives not to give up, asking them, telling them, yes, it is worth it. Now, if their life, then, was anything like our lives today and the life of in the Jewish community today, which I think there is a lot of similarity, the idea of having faith in Jesus as the Messiah and living part of the Jewish community, those two things are incompatible. They often are talked about as an oxymoron. Jews for Jesus vegetarians for meat, same idea. So consider some of these book titles that are written by Jewish people about the relationship between believing in Jesus and being Jewish. Okay, first title, you take Jesus, I'll take God. Uh Next title, fear or faith, how Jewish people can survive in Christian America. Next one, 26 reasons why Jews don't believe in Jesus. It's pretty straightforward, right? I don't know why they don't have 28, but there's 26, so. Uh, Next one, let's get biblical. Why Jews don't accept the Christian Messiah. That one is, uh, anybody listen to Dennis Prager? That's, oh, no, Okay. And the next one, uh, The Real Messiah, a Jewish response to missionaries. So, all of these books, in many ways, in, in, in really the foundation of these books is based on one idea and one issue, and that is survival. That the Jewish community today believes that Jews who believe in Jesus threaten the survival of the ongoing existence of the Jewish people. Now, the book of Hebrews seems to have been written in a similar environment. The book of Hebrews was probably written somewhere around 70 or 80 A.D., right in that zone somewhere. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And what was going on in Israel at this point and in the Jewish community is they were wondering, how will we ever survive And it is in that environment, and in environments like that, that it's not surprising that the community kind of closes ranks, right? And so there isn't room for the differing opinions. There isn't room for Jewish people to believe in Jesus because we can't lose anybody. And so there's a sense of uh, you're not one of us, Today, the Jewish community continues to say that to Jewish people who believe in Jesus. You just can't do it. It's just not acceptable. So why shouldn't they, these folks that are the audience in the book of Hebrews, why shouldn't they abandon their faith? Given the pressures they were facing, why shouldn't they throw in the towel? Maybe it would have been best to just stop taking this so seriously and join in the ranks uh, with the broader community. And for some of you, this is an all-too-familiar refrain that you hear every day in your own life. Why are you making such a big deal? You can't really believe this. You know it's just a fairy tale, right? No thoughtful, intelligent person would ever think this. I'm sure you're one of the good ones, and you're not really that into it. On some level or another, we all face this kind of pressure to conform. I used to think it was something that actually I would grow out of, (laughs) that peer pressure was somehow uh, exclusive to children. It got worse. And I grew up, and now I have children. And the pre- and all of those pressures continue, and all of those pressures are bearing down in this community in the book of Hebrews. So what do we do? So according to the book of Hebrews, why shouldn't we cave? Why shouldn't we throw in the towel? Well, Well, the first thing that I would say is that certainly we don't believe in Jesus because we're going to have such an easy life. And many people in the broader Jewish community accuse Jewish people who believe in Jesus of doing just that. You want to fit in, so you believe in Jesus. At which most of us say, um, it doesn't really work that way. It's actually the opposite. But the reason why, whether uh, whether you're Jewish or not, or whoever you are, whatever background, the reason why we do not throw in the towel, is because Jesus is worth it. The entire book of Hebrews tells us about the person and the work of Jesus as the Messiah in a crystal clear way. Why is it that we shouldn't give up? Because of him. Why isn't that we shouldn't just kind of go back to the synagogue in the way it was? Because of him. Why isn't that we in Portland shouldn't just become secular people? Because there is a real God who really spoke to the world, who really came into our life, and he is the reason. Not our faith, but him. And so the book of Hebrews speaks about that, no matter the difficulty. No matter the pain, no matter the suffering, no matter the rejection, no matter the punishment, no matter the condemnation, through all these things, he remains. And because of who he is and what he's done, it is worth it. We make sacrifices. I flew here a couple of days ago, and this is college graduation weekend. In Portland and most places around, you know, these couple weekends, and there are families flying all around, and fathers all wringing their hands about how they're going to pay for all of this, right? You know, and making jokes, uh, and actually all together saying by their actions, "My child is worth it. My child is worth the effort." And if there's anything that is true about Mother's Day, is that mothers make that same decision every day, every moment, living a life saying their children are worth it. And that is really where we where we come to. And so what I'd like to do is just tell you one quick story and then move into this passage, because... I think uh for for me one of the stories of Is It Worth It actually comes from Annette's family. You know, Annette, my wife, is also Jewish, also believes in Jesus. Her grandparents were um refugees from Nazi occupied Vienna. They were in Austria. Uh they were secular Jews. He was a uh, uh oral surgeon, she was a seamstress. And they were in Austria during uh, what is called the Anschluss, which was the, the German occupation of Austria. And very quickly it became very difficult for Jews. Um, they were losing their jobs, becoming arrested. And her, my wife's grandfather, Arthur Morgenstern, was arrested and held in Gestapo headquarters in Vienna. It was the third time he'd been arrested in a year. And his wife, Ella Morgenstern, who was this European Jewish woman, she was sort of shaped like a box, this woman. I mean, she was about this tall, made me look tall, okay? She was about this tall and just kind of square, you know? And not the person you want to meet in a dark alley, right? Like, she will tear you apart. So she walks into... Um, Gestapo headquarters in Vienna and demands her husband's release. Well, I said no, and she didn't leave. And throughout the day went up and up in the ranks. Well, she became such a pain in the neck to these people that they basically said, look, fine, you want your husband? Fine, take him. Leave. Leave Austria, don't take anything with you. So they left Austria a couple of weeks later. They went to Shanghai. There was, that was the only place they could go. Shanghai, back to Europe, and eventually to New York, and then to Baltimore. And then they landed in Fresno, California. right? Which, right isn't that where all Viennese Jews end up? <laughs> Fresno, California. So they're in Fresno, and, and they are um, trying to make this, this life. They didn't speak English. He couldn't practice medicine in the States. She was a seamstress. So they started a business, and the business was they would go around to farmers and buy their old feed sacks, and then bring them home and stitch them up and repair them and sell them back to the feed company. Okay, so that recycling business basically kept them afloat as a family for several years, and it turned out that in the Central Valley of California, there's a fairly large German-speaking Mennonite community. And there was a family who were believers in the Bible. And they believed that God told them to pray for the salvation of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and so they did every morning. They'd never met a Jewish person in their life. They never expected to meet a Jewish person in their life. But they did it because they, that's what God told them to do, so they did it. And lo and behold, here comes Arthur Morgenstern, Jewish, German-speaking, wanting to buy his feed sacks. So every week or two when they would come, uh, the Krauss family, Mr. Krauss would have coffee on, his Bible open on the kitchen table, and they would sell him the sacks, but they would also sit and argue and debate over the person of Jesus. And that went on for about a year and a half until finally... In the mid-1950s, Arthur Morgenstern knelt down on the ground and invited Jesus to be his savior, committed his life to him, and they became saved. The legacy of this faithful man, I am deeply thankful for because my wife is part of it. And you know, what, what strikes me about that is he was faithful and he was ready. He didn't give up. He didn't always know why it was that he was following. We don't always know why it is God asks us to be faithful. Often, we're just being faithful. But for this man, and for certainly for Arthur Morgenstern, this was a life-changing moment. And as we are faithful in following him... God will bring about people and activities and events in our life that allow us to speak about his goodness. So, what does it look like? And this passage, I think, gives us a good example of what it means not to throw in the towel. What does authentic, normal, Christian life look like? Well, In the first eight verses of chapter 13, we have a bit of an indication. We've got a list of various things. One, exhibit love. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Show hospitality. Remember those in prison. Remember the ones that are suffering because you too suffered once. Keep your marriages intact and holy. Be content with your material possessions. Keep your leaders in mind and seek to emulate them. I love it when I hear stories of Christians doing the right thing, don't you? We have a lot of stories about Christians doing the wrong thing. I love it when I hear that, oh, good stories. When Christians are living out these daily axioms in their life when they're really truly showing hospitality, when they're committed to those in prison. The reality is much of the reason, much, almost all the reason why we ended up here at this church is because the Wilsey family invited us to their house on Thanksgiving, and the Miles family invited us to their house after a service. And I have to tell you, the, being able to eat a meal with somebody else in their house is remarkable. It changed our lives, certainly that year, and, and as a result of that year in, in bringing us here. There is a huge, huge benefit to hospitality. Now, I'm not an angel. I'm not a prophet, right? I work for a nonprofit organization, but I'm sorry, I can't, sorry, I couldn't resist. So, okay. But you know, simply having a meal with somebody—it's just, isn't it one of the greatest things in life? And isn't it wonderful when somebody invites you into their home? You're not just going out to a restaurant or out for pizza, but you're actually going into their home where they make you something. It's wonderful. I love it. And it's normal for the way we are to function. It's normal. A few weeks ago, we were gathering, we were dedicating a a home, one of the apartments our staff lives in, And uh, there was a young woman there who was part of, she was invited, she wasn't a believer. She made a comment, you know, all you guys are married. She said, nobody I know is married. I like that. I like that I was part of a community that values marriage. Even the people that weren't married value marriage. I like that she saw that. So why should we do any of these things? Again, because Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is there. Our levels of obedience will change. He never does. Our commitments to faithfulness will change, even falter from time to time. He never wavers. Our tomorrow sometimes is different than our yesterday. His never is. The end of this section doesn't end with, oh yeah, and you know what? If you do all these things, then God will be so happy with you. Because you know what? If you do all these things, you made it, man. You're in. The end of our obedience is not us. The end of our obedience is that Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Because he is the reason why we don't throw in the towel. He is the reason why we stay committed. And he is the focus for everything that we are doing. So then, what's our expected outcome of these things? You do all this, right? You've made it. You're finally, like, doing what you're supposed to do. And therefore, what? You're invited in, right? You're given a place of, uh, of, of authority, No, Jesus said, no, the writer of Hebrews says, good, now you're outside the gate. And you know what? Jesus is there too. So a few years ago when we were here, um, we had just moved. I'd served um, for 20 years with Jews for Jesus in New York City. And uh, we had come to Portland. I was going to seminary and I thought, yeah, you know, yeah, seminary, study, study theology, you know, Bible. How bad can that be? And what I distinctly remember was it was so brutally difficult. And I remember having a conversation with Annette. We used to go for a walk almost every night. And I remember having a conversation saying to her, you know, Annette, it's not like I'm doing anything bad here. What's the deal? Why is it so difficult And at that point, our family was going crazy. And I mean, I don't know if you remember. I certainly remember. We were just really in a difficult place. And we were just all knotted up. And I thought, you know, look at everything that I have to give. (laughs) Look at me. Look at these good decisions I'm making. Doesn't this count for something? And my wife, ever the godly one, looked at me and simply asked me where I got that idea. And she said, you know, ease was never part of the deal. And by the way, the dog just, you know, so clean that little bit up there. So, Some have made the point, and a good one, that this passage has a connection to the sacrificial system, and it does, talking about how the sin offering on the Day of Atonement was offered, and Jesus is that offering, which he is. And just a little bit of a background that on once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, there would be a sacrifice, two sacrifices actually, a blood sacrifice where an animal would be killed and in, and in, a, in a spiritual way that the, the innocence of that lamb or that animal would be transferred to us and the guilt that was on us would be transferred to the animal and the animal would pay the price. Propitiation, right? And but then there would be a second sacrifice where uh, there would be another offering called a scapegoat offering, where God would put His hands on the on the kind of the head of the of the animal, and that animal would be led off into the wilderness as a way of God taking away our sins, showing us that God both pays the legal requirement for our sin and removes. The burden of carrying the sin that we have in our daily lives. And that is certainly part of what's going on here. But much of that is the context. But what's key to the discussion is this idea of being outside the gate. Because that was really what was going on. They didn't want to be outside the gate, they wanted to be in the gate. They wanted to be inside the temple area, part of the discussion. They wanted to have a seat at the table. And they didn't. All that they went through, all that they sacrificed for, all the the imprisonment, didn't that give them some sort of cred? Weren't they able to now be able to speak? Wouldn't they have kind of gained their stripes, earned the respects and, and the accolades that come with it? Didn't they, real, didn't they uh, understand, the Jewish people in the temple, that we have something important to say? But what they forgot, these folks in the book of Hebrews, the, uh, the, the audience of this book, is that Jesus wasn't in the gate either. He was outside the gate. Annette wisely said to me, Ease and comfort are never promised to believers. In fact, often the opposite is true. If we aim to follow him, go where he goes, live as he lived, we too are likely going to end up right where he is, outside the gate. And what's he doing there? Well, only paying for the sins of the world... So, what, you, what for here in this passage, Jesus' work outside the gate is everything of what he did. This is where the death that he died actually counts, that he is that sin offering. He's not lost. He's not an outsider. He's right where he's supposed to be. Well... Maybe that's a bit of where we're supposed to be too. Hard to understand? Yes. It brings to mind what Paul said about how to the natural man for us, these things are like foolishness. But if you find yourself on the outside, as often believers do, look around because I think what you'll see is that Jesus is there too. A uh, well-known pastor and teacher to many of you, uh, John Owen, has a wonderful, wonderful uh, set of devotional thoughts about the book of Hebrews. And he writes about some of these implications. The apostle now, this is what he says, the apostle now shows them that by the suffering of Christ without the, without the camp, outside the camp, that they were called upon to forego the part which and renounce all the privileges and advantages which are inconsistent with an interest in Christ and a participation of him. In these things consist the first general duties of our Christian profession, which we are called and directed unto by his offering himself and the manner of it, namely, in separation from all ways of religious worship not appointed by himself. One, in a relinquishment of all civil and political privileges, which are inconsistent with the profession of the gospel. Two, in avowing the wisdom, grace, and power of God in the cross, notwithstanding the reproaches that are cast upon it. Three, in giving up ourselves unto him in the discharge of his whole office toward the church. And four, in conformity unto him in self-denial and suffering, the sum of, of all of which is that we must leave all to go forth unto a crucified Christ. He is outside the gate. He is there. He's not in the city. He's not in the temple, the tabernacle, the camp. He's on the outside. And it makes me wonder, what, is, what ought we expect What ought our expectation for authentic Christianity to be? We're going to follow this, we're going to do all these things, and then we're going to get it. But it is being outside the camp. Because what is that we get? We get Him, we get the presence of God, we get the love of His pleasure. Let me read these last couple verses, verses 14, 15, and 16 from this chapter. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. Therefore, Jesus, uh, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for such. Uh, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Praise is our refreshment. Service is our food. In this, God will show us his pleasure. So last week, this is for mothers. Last week, we're sitting at the table and we're having dinner and Annette's serving uh, us, and Eliana takes her plate and says, "Thanks, mom." And Annette jumps up out of her seat and says, "What?" She goes, "What do you mean? What did I do? What did I do wrong? What happened? What, what's going on right now?" And she said, "What did you just say?" And she said, "I, I don't know." She said, "Did you say thanks?" She went, she went uh, "Yeah." And Annette raised her arms and said. Victory at last. <laughs> and just, finally, after years of trying to get you to understand, finally, well, you know, I mean, she just, it, it is, you know, when she hears that, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to understand what's going on myself. I'm like, yeah, right, I know, victory, okay, so. But it makes it all worth it. And what she said afterwards is she said, you know, everything that I've done for you and everything that I will continue to do for you is all there because I love you. I pour my pleasure into you. In fact, giving to you gives me the most pleasure that I have in life. And it's that that we don't throw away. God wants to give us his pleasure. God wants to show us his love. So what do we do? To the believer, are you on the outside? Good. (laughs) You're right where you should be. That's our normal spot. Why? Because the guy that we follow is there too. Our normal spot is that outside the camp spot. You're right where you're supposed to be. Don't belong there? Well, actually, Jesus is there. So if you belong to him, you belong there too. Alone? Outcast? Never. Never. Never will God Abandon you. Some of you hear those words and you say to yourself, Oh, yeah, just wait. Because he'll abandon me. And we're here together as a community. If you don't believe that on your own, as a community, we tell you that's not true. Don't believe it, it's a lie. The God of the universe will not abandon you because he is there too. And remember always that the one who calls you outside the gate loves you more deeply than you can even imagine and pours his pleasure out upon you. And it is his pleasure and his presence that will sustain you in every and all situation. To the unbeliever, if you're here and you're not sure what to do, maybe you're wondering whether or not this is where you should Throw in your chip. Know what you're walking into. You're not walking into a life of ease. You might be walking into a life of that's much more uncomfortable than you imagine. But what you are being offered through the gospel of Jesus is the opportunity to be with him. If you want to hear his voice, if you want to know his pleasure, follow him. Is it worth it? Absolutely. So I'm a Jewish guy, speaking in a Baptist church. Those things aren't supposed to happen, right? At least that's what they say. The only reason why I'm here is because God himself has shown himself to be faithful. And I'm not here because I filled out all the boxes on the checklist that said, yeah, you're good, you made it. Because what we have here is mentioned. Verse 14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Here together as a church is our hope. Are we in heaven? No, but we get a taste. We get a taste of what it will be like. We get the down payment. And that's what this place is. That's what we are together. Because he is here in our midst and he transforms us. He brings us. He keeps us. He brought us here to begin with. And he wants us so desperately to know his great pleasure. The little glimpse that my wife got when her daughter said thank you, (laughs) I don't know, is maybe a little glimpse about what we have here. For you, that if you're thinking about throwing in the towel, I sure hope you don't. Because there is great reason to stay. And for you who are thinking about where to throw your chip in, what my word to you is, Jesus is worth it. We all have to throw our chip into something. Jesus is worth it. I hope and pray that these words speak to our hearts. I don't know if I'm supposed to pray, but I really want to, so I'm going to pray, okay. Lord, thank you so much that you are a good God. Thank you, Father, that you have shown your pleasure upon us. God, thank you that you do not abandon us, that as we live our life as believers, God, that you too show us what it is to be outside the gate. Help us to trust you, Help us to rely on you, and Father, help us to believe that you are worth it and to set our eyes on you and this enduring city that we look forward to. Because there, Jesus, there, we will truly be brought in to a great feast, to great joy, to great love, to fullness of life. And Father, help us to believe that that reality is, soon will come. In the mighty name of your Son, amen.